But if you will, open to Ephesians, the first chapter, and we're going to get started. God's Word is alive. That is for sure. And it's so different, and this is why I expect that we'll go through it the way that, uh, that I am, is, you know, in the Bible, there was a time when more than once, actually, that Jesus multiplied loaves and fish, and he fed the multitude, and he broke what was there, and then he distributed it to the disciples and the disciples to the people. And there were small amounts, you know, like just a few loaves and a, and a couple of fish. And then they fed thousands of people because they multiplied once they got in the Lord's hands and he blessed them. And uh, I believe that's true with this. The Bible is called the bread of life. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. So I believe if the Bible is touched by God, when we read it, It'll do the same thing that the loaves and fishes did, where there will be plenty to feed everybody, and then there will be leftovers, and you don't have to have a lot to get fed a lot. Because they didn't. I mean, there's no way that for thousands and tens of thousands of people, because it only gives reference to the men, but there were women and children too. So tens of thousands or 10,000 or more people, you know, at different times that were fed by small amounts, but it was after the Lord blessed it and then broke the bread and gave it and they all ate and they were all filled. And then they gathered up fragments and took something with them. So I believe not only will you get something here today, but you'll have something you can take with you. So Ephesians, the first chapter, and we're going to read the first verse. So it says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. So he gives this introduction here about himself. He said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints. So this letter is to the saints who are at Ephesus. But it's not only to the saints who are at Ephesus, and this is not the only letter, by the way, or message given to the church at Ephesus. If you read the book of Revelation, there's seven letters to seven churches. Paul started this church. Paul pioneered this church. It was a work that Paul started. And so Paul started this work, and we can see in the Bible where he uh, met these guys, and he got them filled with the Spirit and things like that. And we'll probably talk about that later, like in about 40 weeks or so, because it's in the fifth chapter if we go by, you know, half a verse. So, But that being... Oh, no, we wouldn't even be out of the first chapter. But that being said, Paul had a these people had a place in Paul's heart. And then when Paul had died and uh, John was the last one around, there was another letter written from the Lord or a message given to this church. And so right here it says, uh, to the saints at Ephesus, halfway through the verse, but it says, and faithful in Christ Jesus. So this letter is for this church, but it's for all those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Those who have given their life to the Lord, this letter is for you. So it would be good to know what the Lord has said to us, His church, because these are the letters to the church. We should spend the majority of our time in the New Testament. 
because the New Testament was written to the church. The church didn't exist in the Old Testament. There was animal sacrifices, but they were waiting for Jesus to come to be the ultimate sacrifice, not to cover sin any longer, but actually to give life to man and to remove their sinful nature and make them become children of God. So these letters are written different than the Old Testament. So notice here the very first verse says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle, and we'll probably talk about it because they mention them in the fourth chapter, an apostle literally means a sent one. A sent one by God. And so they're different than evangelists, they're different than pastors, they're different than the other ministry gifts, but they start works and they establish works. And so he said, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And notice it says, by the will of God. Whatever we do, we want to do things by the will of God. And so I want to talk about that phrase right there, by the will of God. It's important to know that we are supposed to do things by the will of God. There is a will of God. And do you know there was a will of God long before we ever existed? Long before you ever existed, there was a will of God for you and for your life. I mean, long before, you know, the kids were born, you know, that are in children's church, you know, there were certain freeways that were already here, paths that could be traveled. But in God, there are things that are designated to all mankind and all people long before they ever came. And so we're going to read here, go to Galatians, the first chapter. Galatians 1, uh, verse 15. So just a couple of pages back, Paul talking about himself and how, who he was as an apostle. But it, it's a real interesting statement here because we're talking about God's will. God's will for your life, God's will for my life, God's will in life. But notice this in the 15th verse. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me through His grace or through His gift. Notice this, it says, but when it pleased God, who had separated him, or he said me, from my mother's womb. Way back before Paul was ever born, when he was conceived, God had a plan. I mean, so people who think they were a mistake child, you know, or, you know, we had three kids and we weren't expecting that fifth one. And you were that fifth one. When you were conceived in your mother's womb, he had a plan. And that's where he hatched the plan. That's where it was set. You were, the day you were conceived, you were marked. And I believe this, long before you were in your mother's womb, we know from verses, he already knew you were coming. So you might have been a mistake by humanity's standpoint, but you were not a mistake in the foreknowledge of God. And so he doesn't have to scramble for anybody. There are things designated that people get marked with the minute they're conceived. And it, so it says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me 
through His grace. His grace is something you don't earn. His grace is something you don't work for. His grace, the Bible said, is sufficient. But His grace is a gifting, an empowerment, and an endowment. And when you get conceived, there is a mark on you, an endowment, a grace, something you have not done anything in the future. You haven't done anything in the past. It's just a free endowment from God. And everybody has one. They vary from people to people. But everybody is marked by God for significance. Somebody said, but not everybody does something significant. Because people sometimes don't follow God. Or people don't seek after God. And so notice what it says. He I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll read verse 16. It says, But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through His grace or through His ability and His gifting to reveal His Son in me, that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. So He was separated to be a preacher to the Gentiles. To the non-Jewish people, He was sent. But he wasn't even born, or once, you know, when God got this design, then he was conceived, he was marked, and he was called to preach, to preach to the non-Jewish people. But I like how it reads, to reveal his son in me. That's where it all starts. There is a plan and a purpose for people, and I believe there are people that sense things but they don't know it until his son, Jesus, is revealed in them. I had a friend who worked with me in California, and uh, he was what people called a war baby. He was from the Vietnam time. He's in his late 40s now. He was over there, and his dad was a contractor um, in Vietnam, and he met a Vietnamese woman. And I know that, you know, Men met women over there and just left him, but he really loved his wife. And so while he was there, he had a child, another child, and then he had, you know, this one, this kid that I know. And um, he was there during the Vietnam War, and, you know, war is raging. And if you know history, we kind of just pulled the plug and left. And he was one of the last ones to leave. And he was only a few years old at the time. And he said, when we went out onto the runway, onto the tarmac, and he had told me this, he said, as we were standing there to leave, he said, you know, I looked around because we knew we're fleeing the country, that he said, a voice spoke to me or something said something to me. He said, I'd never had this happen. He said, you will come back and you will help these people someday. And I was like, when he told me that, that's like, wow. Long before he ever knew it, he wasn't saved. And then he went on through his life and, you know, elementary school, never thought anything of it. It actually left him. And he said, you know, and then he partied through high school and lived just a riotous life. And somebody came and witnessed to him one day and told him about Jesus. And he gave his life to the Lord. He said, the minute I gave my life to the Lord, that came back to me. I knew I'm called to the ministry. And Paul said right here in verse 16 to reveal his son in me, 
that to reveal his son in me. That's what happened to him. When his son, when Jesus got revealed to that guy, when it was, he was revealed to him, that call was there. He said, notice, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul recognized that that day that he was converted. And within the days after, something totally changed in his life. That guy that I know, you know, it wasn't, he didn't leave right away, but he knew then, here we go. This is what I'm supposed to do. And with Paul, it was this way. He said, to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. He didn't go asking people, well, what do you think? What, do you think I should do this? At this present time, it wasn't real uh, popular, and it wasn't even accepted to go preach to the Gentiles. And here he is, God deals with him about something that the Jewish people in the church is not even accepting at this time. It wasn't even until another chapter later in the Bible that was the first time they ever went to the Gentiles. And that person had to have a vision to go because he, they used to think that Gentiles were unclean and here God had already marked him. This is what's interesting to me. However old he was at this time, years and years before, before it was ever acceptable, God had marked him to go to these people. Isn't that interesting? What is not acceptable to man could be acceptable to God, and vice versa. You with me? When this guy went to Vietnam, it was unacceptable to man, but it was acceptable by God, and God had marked him, you know, in his mother's womb, and when he was little, all of a sudden, he got a little glimpse of light. And Paul got a glimpse of light when he got saved, too, about the purpose that had already been there. But was Paul living a purposeful life up until that time? No way. He was actually opposed to the church. He would lock them in prison, and he thought he was doing God a favor. But it was when he found Jesus that it all changed. And when people find Jesus and really get to know him, that's when things begin to change. Purpose comes. Aim comes in life. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. He was heading one way to persecute the church. He had an encounter with Jesus, and now he's heading this other way. His whole destiny changed. And anytime someone comes to know who they are in Christ, what they have after they're saved, their lives begin to change too. And so turn with me, if you will, to Acts the ninth chapter, and we're going to look at the will of God for Paul. When this began to happen, when this call happened, when he said he was called to be an apostle, and he, you know, is sent to these people, and he's an apostle by the will of God, let's look at how he came into walking in God's will for his life. Now, we notice there it was when Jesus was revealed in him. Not just revealed to him, but notice how it reads he was revealed in him. 
And there's a big difference between things being revealed to you and being revealed in you. And I believe we'll talk about some of that because Paul prayed some of these things that the message of Christ and who Christ was and what he did, what he bought and what he was paid for, later on in Ephesians, the first chapter, he prayed that they would be revealed in the believer. Not just information coming to them like math or English or some kind of history lesson. It's on a totally different level that we are to receive the Scripture. We are to get the truth by revelation. Revelation literally means to pull back the curtain. Well, if you pull back a curtain, if something's there, you're going to see it. If there's nothing there, you're not going to see it. And so revelation is that way. Jesus is there. He is in heaven. We know the Bible said he was received up into heaven and received out of our sight. So he's not in our physical sight, but he's there. But you can get revelation of him and know him personally and really know him. When the rest of the world says, that ain't true. He's not real. The Bible calls the world blind. How could you explain to a blind person what purple is if they never saw their whole life? How could you explain to them what orange is? How could you explain to them what clear is when they can't even see? So you say, oh, that's dirty water. Don't drink that. Well, what does that mean? It means you can't see through it. It's cloudy. Wait a minute. Something's not. But to a blind person, they don't know all that. And that's why, you know, the Bible said people who are lost are blinded by the God of this world. Well, when they're blinded, they don't see things, but we need to not just have information given to us. We need revelation of it inside our hearts and in our spirits. And so here in Acts, the ninth chapter, we're going to look at a number of different verses here about Paul finding out the will of God for his life and how it happened when Christ was revealed to him. Notice this in Acts 9.1. It says this, Then Paul, or Saul, and this is his name before the Lord changed his name later on. Then Saul, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. This guy is not about church. He's not about Jesus. He is so opposed. He's breathing out murder against the disciples of the Lord, and he went to the high. So he went to the high priest, verse two, and asked letters uh, from him to the or to the synagogues of Damascus, the, so that if he found any who were of the way, now these are believers. He's asking for letters so he can go throw them in jail and kill them. Notices so that if he found any who were of the way. Whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I mean, he chained them up and brought them. We know other places where he was consenting to the death when Stephen was stoned to death. So this has to be some kind of radical change to bring a man from murder, persecution of the church, hatefulness toward the things of God, to a dramatic change where he's just totally headed toward the Lord and whatever he wants. 
So notice this. Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Then he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads, which are a thing that you like, you know, those things you put in the fireplace to poke the logs and then they have a hook on the end and you pull them. Well, these are that type of thing, but for cattle, real big things with a big sharp shaft on it with like a hook so they could pull them and poke them. Jesus said, you're persecuting me. And he said, it's hard to kick those things. Well, they wore sandals back then. And who was he persecuting? The church. But Jesus looked at it personally. And so he, because we're the body and he's the head of the body. So notice this, verse 4. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Verse 5. And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus. So Jesus is now being revealed to him. Whom you are persecuting, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Verse 6. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? He didn't say, Lord, the first thing he said was not, Lord, I need you to do these three things for me. When it came to surrendering his life, it wasn't about what can you do for me. It's what do you want me to do for you? And so what happened is, it says, so then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So he said, what do you want me to do? He said, well, I want you to get up, and I want you to go into the city, and there it will be told you what you need to do for me. What I find interesting here is this. When he surrenders his life to the Lord, the Lord tells him something to do. And the first thing the Lord does with him is asks for his obedience. Asks for him to obey him. What do you want me to do? I want you to go to the city. Yeah, but no, what do you really want me to do? I mean, yeah, I got to go to the city. I can't stay here on the road. But he said, I want you to go to this place. And he said, then there you will be told what you must do. I wonder how many people God has already told them to go to the city in their life, but they haven't ever gone, but they want more direction. And maybe their city is prayer. Maybe their city is some act of obedience that they already know what to do, and they're wanting more, but the Lord requires obedience without always seeing everything. So he said, what I want you to do is arise, and I want you to go there, and I want you to be there, and there I will... But you're talking to me, Lord. Why don't you reveal it now? We're talking. 
you're dealing with me. Why don't you just, why don't you just give it all? Because then you're not walking by faith and you're not walking by obedience. And so we see here this. When he got saved, direction came. And obedience was required. Obedience is not just for the first week that you give your life to the Lord. And then somewhere, it's okay not to obey Him anymore. No, there's always a, a place to go where it will be told you in God. And so He required it. What does this do? Why did He ask for obedience? Well, He said, what do you want me to do, Lord? Our obedience shows some things. It actually, it's a great revealer to ourselves and who we really are. David said, try my heart and know my ways. Try the reins of my heart. See if there's this type of spirit in me or how I am. In other words, he basically was saying it like this. Like a horse, when you pull on the reins, what's it supposed to do? If you pull back on both, it's supposed to stop. If it doesn't, you know you've got a stubborn horse. And he said, try my reins. He said, just give me a tug and see what's in me. Because our actions to the Lord's dealings show us our submission to Him. They reveal our love to Him. They reveal our own attitudes toward Him and His ways. Somebody said, I don't like that. Well, we can change our attitudes. And if you come back in two years, we'll be in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. No, I'm kidding. And there's some attitude stuff in there. So we say, I can't wait that long. But the issue is we can act regardless of our attitude. We can. Can't we? You ever had an attitude like, I got to go to school today? I got to go to work today? And you get up and go anyway. You can act. You know, I've seen people who say, I got a temper problem, man, and I just can't control it. <laughs> and they just seem to get in fights. I, I'm thinking of a certain person. And then, then all of a sudden, a bigger, tougher guy came, and it's amazing how they could really control it. Just it became amazing. How suddenly they could not and now they can't. We can. And we can act on what we know. And really it begins to harness our emotions and be able to hold them into place when we act on what we know in the Lord. And so here in the 10th verse... We're going to read on about this experience that he had. And it goes on to say, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus. Now, he, now in between, he's blind, he can't see. And he gets led by the soldiers who are with him. And he is in Damascus, is where he's been told to go. And it says, notice this in verse 10. Now there was a certain dis, uh, disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord. 
verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the street called Straight. So it would be like, go to Main Street. There's a church there. You know, God can deal with people. He really can deal with people. And he dealt with him in such a way, he said, go into the city and go to the street called Straight. And inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Notice he met the Lord, he obeyed the Lord, and he began a prayer life. And it's interesting to me, the Lord knew exactly what Paul was doing and knew what he was doing at the... I just don't know if the Lord hears me when I pray. Are you even listening, Lord? He is. Not only does he see it, he may let other people know too. And here, he said, go there, you're going to find this man, and he's praying. Notice it didn't say, and he's playing video games. He was praying. Prayer is vital. Verse 12, and in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Isn't it interesting? He's been praying, and God shows him this guy coming, and God speaks to this other guy and tells him to go. You know, God deals with people. And notice this, that he might receive his sight, verse 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. That you could think about. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Notice verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go, you obey too, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Isn't it interesting that as he began to obey Heaven saw what he was doing. Heaven responded to what he was doing. Heaven went to work on his behalf to fix things that were messed up in his life. I mean supernaturally, that he couldn't fix on his own. And he has been told what he's got to do with his life. He said, You're gonna go, he's going to go here. It's been told he's going to go here, he's going to do this, and he's going to suffer some things too. The Lord told him that. What things was he going to suffer? Sickness and disease? No. Poverty and lack and just all this, God being mad at him? No. No. It was persecution and severe persecution. He had been in prison multiple times throughout his life. He was beaten with rods 
on more than one occasion. He was whipped more than one occasion. He was shipwrecked on more than one occasion. He, the Bible said he was in peril of robbers and on and on. He was in a city under siege and they were looking for him and they let him out a window in a basket out. He suffered again and again. But what's interesting, the Lord told him in another place that he would deliver from all of them. And he did, and supernaturally too. We all like those supernatural deliverances. We just don't like the places you need to be delivered from. You got to be there to be delivered out of it. Oh, that's awesome. They were worshiping God at midnight, you know, in Acts 16. And they were writing the will of God and they were in prison and God delivered him. Yeah, but he was whipped and his back was bleeding and he was in the stocks. But he was now living a life of obedience. And the Lord told him, I'll deliver you. You obey me. Whatever you've done, wherever you're at, he said, I'll be with you. And people forsook him. And he even said it, all men forsook me. When he was in prison in one place, he said, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me and delivered me. He did. And so here we see he has purpose in his life. And so we'll do this. Let's go to Acts 13. So we're talking about Ephesians 1, that he's an apostle by the will of God. We all have a destiny from God. Spending time with God is important. Ministering to the Lord is important. Being obedient and being faithful and just sticking with things in God is super important. Notice this in Acts 13. It's interesting because if you go back to the 12th chapter, Paul has been in ministry now for a number of years. But he's never yet done exactly what God talked to him about way back. But he's been being obedient. He's been being obedient. But he hasn't reached his high call yet. He's been faithful. And at this time in his life, we'll actually read the 25th verse of the 12th chapter. I wasn't going to, but, but we will. It says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So they had been traveling and ministering and doing all this stuff. He had been called way back. Things had been revealed to him. But what was he doing last time God gave direction to him? He was praying. He was obeying and he was praying. Notice this, they've fulfilled what they were supposed to do. Now they're at a place where what do we do next? And people can be at a place where what do I need to do next? And he was there. Verse 13, 13th chapter, the first verse says this. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there, was a certain, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So there's these five people. They were prophets. Some of them were prophets and some were teachers. Notice verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, they were just spending time praising God and magnifying God, and they had to be doing it for a while because they weren't eating at least for a time, and they're separating themselves, and the group of them are fasting and praying. Fasting 
has been given a bad name. But fasting is just to afflict your own flesh and to keep it under and to deprive it in its smallest form. But the fact of the matter is he did that. They went without food. Why would you want to get your body to be afflicted, so to speak? Now, I'm not talking about hitting it with a hammer. But your body has a voice. And it will cry out for things. Dessert, dessert. We always have to have dessert. I can't miss a meal. I always have to have a meal. I can never, I can't ever go without missing that show. I have to. Everybody shut up. Be quiet. My show's on. That, that voice is your body spewing out of your mouth. And so there's an element of keeping your body under control. And depriving it at different times. And so they would do that to pray at different times. Now, you can have a prayer life and maybe not fast for a long time. Or maybe you miss one meal. You can fast certain things, you know, in the Bible. And so they're fasting and ministering to the Lord. So they could, one, one of the Greek words literally means they're worshiping him and serving him. So they just waiting on the Lord, just lifting their voice and praising the Lord and giving thanks to the Lord. And they were doing this and, and they were going without food. Why? Because your body has a voice just like your spirit does. And God communicates through your spirit. And I'll tell you what, you do spiritual things and your spirit gets more keen. You starve some fleshly things and you'll find it pays off in your spirit. You with me? And so here they are ministering to the Lord. He's praying again. He's spending time with God. He said, then the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It's an interesting statement there. The Holy Spirit said, maybe through a person, one of these people, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul. Notice how it's worded to the work to which I have called them. Not to what I am now calling them to, to what I've already called them to. They were already called to this. God just began to speak to them and say, now is the time to do this. It was revealed to him way back. It was set to him when he was in his mother's womb. But as he spent time with God, purpose came. Understanding of the will of God came. And so he was called to be separated now unto this call. And it says after, verse 3, Then having fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. It's interesting that he was not an apostle just by, you know, hey, I went and took these three classes. There was an opening. You know, I just decided this is what I'm going to do with my life. Let's close in Ephesians 1. He didn't say that. You know, in, in the Bible, it tells us nobody was supposed to take on themselves an earthly priesthood. It was de designed by God. Who would take that position? And here's the thing. God has a design for every man, woman, boy, and girl's life. And if you notice here in Ephesians 1, Paul said, 
Paul, in writing this letter in verse 1, an apostle or a sent one of Jesus Christ by the will of God. He was doing what he was doing. He was writing what he was about to write by the will of God. He was an ordained man of God, not by men's sake, but because of God. They recognized the call on his life and recognized the ministry in his life. And so he was sent to these people, and then God used him to write this book and others in the Bible. And so we'll stop there at half a verse. The will of God. These things work in our life. I said, they work in our life. You might be thinking, what am I supposed to do with my life? When God deals with you, you obey him. When God prompts you, you obey him. When he deals with you to surrender your life, you obey him. If you need direction, spend time with him. You with me? And he'll do the same things he did in the Bible. And so we'll find our way through the book of Ephesians like I said, I knew we'd only get through the half of that verse. But we'll go through it quicker. But here's the thing. Those principles that were in Paul's life are written, the Bible said, for our learning, for our understanding, so we can know how to do things in our life. You know, in God, it's not microwave. Wouldn't it be nice? Well, I've got to have it right now. Man, if our internet isn't super fast right here and we don't get something downloaded right away, people just come unglued. But sometimes the reason our connection isn't where it is because maybe we haven't been praying like we should. But anybody who will do these things will find that God will begin to deal with them purposefully in life.